0: Would you turn with me, please, to the book of Isaiah? Book of Isaiah, chapter 66, the last chapter. Bless the Lord. Maybe just turn me down a little, please. I think I'm booming a wee bit, am I? A wee bit loud. I will be when I start getting excited. (laughs) Isaiah, chapter 66. And we're going to read from verse 22 just to the end of the chapter, which is the end of the book. Isaiah 66 and verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, From one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm dieth not, neither shall their fire be quenched. And they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Let's pray again. Father, take your word and scribe it in our hearts. Print it in our minds. Father, take your word and let it take root and let it grow in our lives that we may bear fruit for you. Glorify the Lord Jesus, we pray. In his name we ask it. Amen. We want to speak this evening on Isaiah, the fifth evangelist. That's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Isaiah has been called by Bible scholars and theologians a fifth evangelist because of his prophetic utterances to do with Christ and his kingdom. Isaiah, the fifth evangelist, as he's known, he speaks of the Lord Jesus, especially in Isaiah chapter 53. He speaks of his life, his death. He speaks of his triumphant uh, uh, resurrection, and his glorious ascension into heaven to intercede for us as our great high priest, the right hand of the majesty on high in the place of power and authority. And in our reading, we find at the very end chapter of the end of the book, in verse 22, 23, and 24, this shows us the culmination of the kingdom of God. Listen, it's after the millennial reign of Christ. After he comes to rule and reign the second time, when he, the man Christ Jesus, gives his kingdom up to his Father, and his Father shall be in all and through all. Notice just these three points, and we'll look at these more next week. So tonight will be a run-in for next week. First of all, in verse 22, we have this eternal kingdom, the new heavens, and the new earth which I shall make notice this is the new heavens and the new earth the regenerated earth this earth will abide forever the earth shall never be destroyed for God has a plan and the purpose for it heaven is coming to earth we're always talking about earth going to heaven the bible tells us the opposite that heaven is coming to earth so first of all we are going to speak on next week, but we are running into it tonight, on the Saviour's world. The Saviour's world, or the Father's wonder. But the Saviour's world, which will be the eternal kingdom. In verse 23, And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. This is... Then when all will come who are in the kingdom to worship and serve the Lord. Verse 23, even put it down, it's the saints' worship. It's eternal. The eternal kingdom with eternal worship. And verse 24, and they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worm shall not die neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring to all flesh. And here we see, they have the Savior's world, the saints' worship, and the sinner's worm. The sinner's worm. Again, we'll look at it next week. But here we see Isaiah portraying the glorified Christ in his wonderful kingdom. If you'll turn with me to Isaiah 53, we're going to go across many scriptures tonight. Isaiah chapter 53, and there are—I uh, would say that we all should know most of this, but there are one or two verses that we would probably know off by heart. Isaiah 53. We want to look at what he shows us of a suffering Savior. So first of all, we want to look at the life of Christ before his Father. The life of Christ before his Father. Who hath believed our report— to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Notice this first of all in verse two. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. Here is the birth the Son of God. Here is the Lord Jesus at Bethlehem, growing up in a godless place. We call it the Holy Land. It was really an unholy land. And he grew up as a man, a tender plant, full of Babylonian tradition and worship that had went right throughout Judah and now the Jews. And he is growing up before his father as he lives his life, pleasing unto the Lord, keeping the law we could not keep, living a life that you and I could not live. Isaiah, the fifth evangelist, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Isaiah. Isaiah is around 700 to 750 years B.C. Even before Christ was born in Bethlehem, Isaiah was writing these prophecies. So the Spirit of God, the the testimony of Jesus The Spirit of God testifies of Christ through these prophets. He sees him living before his father. Notice, he shall grow up before him. He shall grow up before him. The son, that little baby, would grow up before his father. His father would watch him every day of his life, 33 and a half years. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant. He was human as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground, living before his Father. Now notice this, Isaiah 53 and verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Notice... He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. Here is the great transaction of the cross of Calvary. All our sin-breaking, he says, all our waywardness and our transgressions, all our depravity of our nature, would be laid upon him 750 years or 40 years or so before Christ came, He says, he will bear your sin. He will take the broken law. He will fulfill the law on your behalf and he'll be wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities, and the chastisement of your peace is upon him and by his stripes you're healed. Notice what the promises are from the father through his son. Now notice this also. He says, he was wounded. And then he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. So we are the ones who have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We live how we like. And the Lord hath led on him. Listen, the word Lord is Yahweh, Jehovah. And the Father hath laid on him. The Father hath led on him who is him, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. The Father laid on his Son. In other words, Yahweh laid upon Christ, the Lord Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Imagine the Father A loving father doing that for a a, a people who have turned from him and hated him. Now, notice this also. Let's just run down to verse 7. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Look at verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. Yahweh is looking at Israel here. He's looking at the ancient kingdoms of Israel and Judah, and he's saying, I will send him. My son will come, and he will bear the sin and the iniquity of them all. He will do it because, he says, I will come in judgment against him rather than you. Are you in Christ tonight? Do you know him tonight? He, the Lord Jesus, was oppressed. He was afflicted. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation for? He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. Christ bore it all. Christ took it all. Notice what it says then in verse 10. Yet, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Yet it pleased Yahweh to bruise Christ Jesus. God was well pleased with his Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, he said at the baptism of Christ at the River Jordan. He says, he is my son, and I'm well pleased. You see the, the sacrifice of bulls and goats and pigeons and, and doves and other animals. He says, that appeased God. And Israel's sins were atoned. They were covered. But when Christ shed his blood for us, he washed us from our sin because he says, I am well pleased. The blood of Christ is the only blood that can cleanse us from all of our sin. Notice this. It says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. So here we have living life before his father, dying death inflicted by his father. Isaiah 53 and verse 10 says, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, We can never understand that. We will never understand what Christ did when he took our sin. His soul and offering for sin, listen, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Notice verse 11 he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. You know what this tells me? Now we have the resurrecting of Christ by the Father. We have the resurrection of Christ by his Father. They led the man in the the tomb and they sealed it. They put Roman guard upon it. Yet God sent his angel and God came in his resurrecting spirit and power and raised Christ from the dead, just as he said. And Christ now is ascended. He is ascended into heaven and he's coming again. He shall see the travail of his soul and he shall be satisfied. Here we see the Lord Jesus resurrected by his father. The old hymn writer Malty Bobcock wrote, This is my father's word. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and heaven and earth be one. The only way this sin-cursed earth can ever be unified with heaven is when heaven comes to earth in Christ. And he sets up his kingdom to rule over the house of Jacob forever and ever. Isaiah, the fifth evangelist, writes in the first 39 chapters of his book—we know there's no chapters and verses in the original—but in the first 39 chapters of our Bible, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah gives a, a lot of stern warnings and harsh judgments that God was going to move and he was going to deal with the house of Judah, the southern kingdom, and the house of Israel are almost by this time gone. And he says, the Lord is going to move unless you repent. The Lord is going to bring judgment unless you repent. Unless you repent and, and turn to his holiness. The first 39 chapters, he's hammering, as it were, uh, like a hammer on a nail, trying to put it through concrete. And their heads were horse foreheads, he says. He says, our heads would not take in the word of God. They wouldn't listen to the word of God. And Israel turned to other gods and they worshiped everything under the sun but the one true living God. And they were hammering and he was hammering and he was hammering at them. Repent or perish, he says. Repent, my people, or perish. For 39 chapters of the book, you'll find that is the main theme. The last 27 chapters of Isaiah shows him prophesying of the coming Christ, prophet, priest, and king, proclaiming forgiveness, consolation, hope, and the coming Messiah. In him, through him, and by him will come redemption and salvation and blessing through Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, through God himself becoming flesh. Now, get this, because we're going to go further into this. God himself alone could save, my brothers and sisters. Get this: God Himself alone could save. He is the Lord Jesus, supreme deity. He is altogether deity. He is deity above all false deities. God, very God. Notice this: the last twenty-seven chapters of Isaiah shows the coming of Christ and all the wonders of the cross, and the glory of his kingdom. Sixty-six chapters in the book of Isaiah. Sixty-six books in our canonized Bible. I want to just throw a couple of things out to you here. As I said, there are sixty-six chapters, and they mirror sixty-six books of the Bible. Thirty-nine chapters of judgment, twenty-seven of grace. Christ coming. We have the Old Covenant, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, 39 chapters of, of judgment, 27 chapters of the coming Christ and grace. See how Isaiah, through the spirit of prophecy, which is a testimony of Jesus, even in, even in the very wording where men have separated this book out according to the prophetic word, not even mirrors the very law and grace. The cross that is staked right in between these two covenants. 27 chapters of hope and 27 books of hope in the New Testament. Do you know the New Testament quotes Isaiah 66 times? The New Testament quotes Isaiah 66 times. The name Isaiah is the word Yeshua, and it means salvation of Yah. Salvation of Yahweh. Salvation of Jehovah, if you want. But Yahweh is the better translation. Here is this man whose name means salvation is of the Lord, is of Yah comes. And he prophesies of the coming Christ to set up his kingdom, but first to die on a cross. He preaches, and he prophesies to the kingdoms of Israel, the ten tribes in the north, the true tribes in the south, and then the ten are gone, and the true are there, left, or what he still prophesies. He preaches to them, and he prophesies of judgment and mercy, death and life, the kingdom of God, and a lake of fire. He preaches of law and grace, saved and lost, favor or fire. And this is the book that he brings, and he's called the fifth evangelist. Is it any wonder? The fifth. Evangelist, the gospel showing men their sin and then men being shown their sin bearer, giving them a warning and telling them the way to go will be through this man, Christ Jesus. You and know, I could almost be excused for thinking that the Apostle Paul knew Isaiah when he shows love and grace and judgment and wrath. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. It's the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. God is coming in judgment. Are you right with him? God is coming in judgment. Turn to him. God is coming in wrath. Get right with him. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The 27 chapters of the end. Christ died for your sin. The Christ can cleanse you, The Christ can forgive you, no matter the depth that you've sank to. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 and 57 says, The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, here is this, uh, the, the strength of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. They had to know the law, these people he's writing to. And Corinthians, there had to be people there who knew what he was speaking of. He says, Listen, the law which we have broken, the law which we have shummed and turned away, the ten moral laws of God and his commandments written on tables of stone. He says, There's a strength of it. The strength of death is sin. In other words, because we're sinners, death is sure. Sure, in Adam. Adam's race, he says, death is sure because of sin. And the strength of sin is the law. How do we know we sin? We have broken the law. But well, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord hath laid on heaven the iniquity of us all. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Isaiah saw also the Lord Jesus preexistent before Bethlehem, eternal Christ, upon his throne. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. Isaiah, with the spirit of prophecy, sees the Almighty— Jesus says, I am the Almighty in the book of Revelation. He didn't say, I am a a lesser God. He didn't say, I'm just a prophet. He didn't say anything to diminish him. He claimed the authoritative state of almightiness. And he says, I am the Almighty. And he says, the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also Yahweh. listen, brothers and sisters, don't you have anybody tell you that Christ is a sami-god, a demi god a better god, a prophet, or some little uh, sort of spiritual guru? He is the almighty God of flesh. He saw him in his deity. He saw him on his throne. Isaiah saw also his incarnation before it happened his incarnation, and he saw his glorification before it happened. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. We like to read this at Christmas time because it seems to fit the bill, but listen. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Listen. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Listen, the zeal of the Lord of hosts (laughs) will perform this. This is not just any ordinary man. The zeal of the God of the armies of heaven. The zeal of the God of Israel. He says, I will perform it. In other words, he's saying, I'll come myself. It's me. That's who hung on the tree of Calvary. That's who hung on the cross. That's who bore the crown of thorns for us. That's who hung hand and foot with driven nails. That's the one who had his back lashed. That's the one who shed his most precious blood. God Almightiness in flesh. Isaiah sees him in his kingdom. He'll come and die. A child is born. A son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. He sees him growing in stature. This man before his father. And he says, The government shall be upon his shoulder. But him, he's no ordinary king. He's no ordinary prophet. He's no ordinary man. He is the Almighty. His name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah sees him in his glorious kingdom to order and establish it, sitting upon the throne of his father David. That is, to the flesh, his father David, coming from the line of David, the Lion of Judah. Isn't that what we say? He's the Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slain. So here we have him in his deity. We also have him in Isaiah chapter, in his humanity or in his incarnation, as we have read. And if you go to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 5, look at this. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. This is David's father. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding and the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with the equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. You know, the rod of his mouth is the word of God. Hear off your father, the devil, he said to the Pharisees. Brutal vipers. Here, Isaiah sees him also, Isaiah 32. Isaiah 32, if you can turn briefly with me. Please. Isaiah 32. Just left two verses. Verses 1 and 2. Notice he sees him, this wonderful Savior, this wonderful kinsman, Redeemer. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. Behold, a man shall be as in hiding place from the wind, and the covert from the tempest as rivers of living, uh, rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And the eyes of them that shall, that see him shall not be dim, and the ears of them that hear him shall hearken. In other words, he will come for his own. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, he says, and they will follow me. Christ didn't come in a whim. Christ didn't come to see maybe someone would follow him or not. Christ didn't come to see what might happen, if they'll accept me or not. Christ didn't come with some weak, momby pomby idea of, well, I will die and see if they like me or not, or see whether they'll say yes or no. He came with a purpose to save his own All that the Father hath given to me shall so come to me, says. Oh, almighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 42, look at it, please. Isaiah 42. Behold, my servant. Can you see the spirit of prophecy? You see the Father? Now starting to speak about him. As he sees him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. As he sees him born in Bethlehem and going to the temple at 12 years of age and Mary and Joseph going to find him. Can you see him as he's walking around in Galilee and Nazareth? Can you see him as he comes into Jerusalem? Behold my servant. Look at him. Whom I uphold mine elect. Christ is the elect. Absolutely he is. Absolutely. Mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. Can you imagine Almighty God looking at him? Can you imagine the Father seeing him and saying, See him. My soul delights in him. See him. My soul is thrilled by him. Delights in him. Can you imagine when they spat upon him? Can you imagine when they beat him and they mocked him? Can you imagine when they took him and whipped him and his blood was being poured out from his back, from his brow? Can you imagine when he hung there, bleeding and dying? Can you imagine when he says, my soul delights in him? Then he sees your sin and mine, your law breaking and mine, placed upon him, and the Father pours out his wrath. people think, they need Jesus to enter the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) They really have to be saved. They really need to trust. Absolutely you do. He is the only way. The one and the only way to the Father. If you have seen me, he says, you have seen the Father. He says, if you want to come to God, you come through me. neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Acts 4 and 12. I notice this. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. The word Gentiles is a poor word. He shall bring forth judgment to the nations. Isaiah 45, please. One. You see this prophet saying this? 700 to 750 years before Christ is born at Bethlehem. Can you see the prophet saying this? Uh, Isaiah 45, and just for time's sake, run down to verse twenty, twenty-one. 21. Tell ye and bring them near yea, Let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who have told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? Notice, there is no God else beside me. There is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else, he says. I have sworn by myself. There's nothing other to swear by. I have sworn by myself. Even Abraham, the friend of God, he wouldn't swear by Abraham. He swore by himself in his covenant. He says in eternity, I have sworn by myself I'm your Savior. The word has gone forth out of my mouth righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Here's something I want to point out to you. Romans chapter 4 and verse 11 says this. Romans 4 and verse 11. Just the one verse. Listen to what Paul says. Sorry, 14. Pardon me. And verse 11. Pardon me. Listen to what Paul says. For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall swear. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. What's Paul speaking of? He's saying, the Lord spoke through Isaiah. And every tongue will swear to God. Here we have an account of oneself. Everyone will give an account before God. That's what he's saying. Everyone will give an account before God. Then when we get to Philippians chapter 2, verses 9, 10, and 11. Philippians 2. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth, and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You only know saying? Every tongue will come and worship before him and glorify the Father in him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Paul says, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear, giving account of ourselves. But in Philippians 2, every knee bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Here's the acclamation of Christ the account of man in Romans 14, and the acclamation of Christ in Philippians 2. There'll be those who'll give an account before God and are not saved, not be lost. But those of us who love him and know him have been saved by grace through faith. We will be before him, worshiping him in his kingdom. And we will acclaim Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. The Lord says, look unto me, in Isaiah 45 and 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Now, here's something you have to think of. If Christ is not God, then we are serving the wrong God. And we're not saved. Look on to me, says Yahweh. Lord, how do we look to you? You are the great eternal Spirit. How do we look to you that you are the invisible God? He says, Look to me in the person of my Son. He is the visible expression of the invisible God. Deity clothed in humanity, the man of Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth, the child born, the son given, the rod out of the stem of Jesse, the branch from his roots, the man, the hiding place, conceived of the Holy Ghost, and birthed from a virgin's womb. He is the tender plant and a root out of a dry ground, the one who is despised and rejected of men, the man of sorrows, who is acquainted with grief, grief. And we had, us it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. We have the suffering Savior here. And he says, look to me. High Lord, you're invisible. Bethlehem comes. Mary, the virgin girl, gives birth. And inside that span, that little one, is sovereignty, supreme deity. He's the Son of God, yet the Son of man, human yet divine, flesh yet spirit, man yet God. Look unto me. How do we look to you, Lord? Turn with me again to Isaiah 53, please. Isaiah 53. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Verse 6, the Lord hath led in him the iniquity of us all. Here God says, if you look to me, here I am. Here I am. When he comes, here I am. Isaiah 53 and verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Here the Father says, The one that will come, he'll bear. My servant will bear your iniquities. Look to him. When you see him, you see me. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, made intercession for the transgressors. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. What were the ordinances against us? I shall have no other gods before me, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, nor bow down to them. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and so on. Thou shalt not steal and kill, and so on. They were against us. We couldn't love him the way he deserved to be loved, so his son done the job for us. He wouldn't buy to the God of this world, this world's system, the devil even at his weakest point of starvation and thirst, I shall worship the Lord thy God. Only him shall thy serve. We'd have bowed long ago for a loaf of bread for a crumb from the devil's table. And people bow. And worship at the devil's table just for a little bit of now. A little bit of today. A little bit that'll do me at the weekend. A little bit that'll do me till the next night. And we bow at him and we worship at him. And in organized religion, there's a lot of worshiping at idols. Jesus took it and blotted it out. Blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. And took it out of the way, kneeling it to the cross. See the word handwriting here? It's the word keragophon. Keragraphon and it means it gives the idea of a hand written legally binding bond or document. A hand written legally binding letter. It means it's a handwritten, legally binding manuscript that's been handwritten to make sure this is my word, this is my signature, this is mine handwriting. And when Moses was up the mount, God came with his finger and wrote upon the tables of stone Thy shalt not kill. Thy shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. He says, this is legally binding. Israel says, all that you want us to do, Lord, we will do. Then became a harlot before God and broke everyone. And we have. The word kiwagraphan for handwriting means there was a bond made in the covenant and only Christ has kept it. The handwriting of ordinances. The word ordinances is simply dogma, public decree, declaration, doctrine, and teaching. Moses came down and says, this is the handwriting of God with two tables of stone. This is a legally binding document. Will you accept them as your God and as your husband? We accept. He broke the law. We broke the law. The word against... Handwriting of ordinances, ordinances that was against us is the word Katah means Gives the idea of pressing down or dominance. This law dominated the man and woman. This moral law dominated the lifestyle. In fact, the domination of it, it points us to say, see, see, you can't on your own. You can't keep it. You can't keep the Ten Commandments on your own. You fail. You can't love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. With all of you are, all that you are, all that you have, every moment of every day, every second minute, hour, week, month. He says, you cannot do it. But that's what it takes for the first one. But Jesus did. He says, I'll come myself. And I'll become like you. I'll take your punishment. That you can be raised up again. That's what he did. That's what Christ did. The dominance of the law points to us. You're a sinner. You've broken the law. You've transgressed and it brings forth death. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't he wonderful? You see, that's the strength of the gospel. He took it out of the way. It means he, it's the word I wrote, means to take up, to take away, to bear it and lift it yourself off someone else. Isn't that lovely? Jesus came and he says, He's he seen Ken Davidson. And he says, Oh, dear, help him. Look at the state of him. He's broken every rule in the book. He's broken this legally binding bond contract and letter. I'll take it from you, son. I'll lift it and bear it on me. And I will take the wrath of the Father. My God, my God, why has I forsaken me? He cries on the cross. And it set me free. Set you free. 1 Peter 2 and 24 says of the Lord Jesus, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye he were healed. I'm closing. Thank you for your attention. The fifth evangelist, Isaiah, saw all of this through the spirit of prophecy. He saw the cross of Christ. 39 chapters of judgment and 27 speaking that there's hope. Maybe you're someone here tonight and in your mind, And in your heart, you find there's no hope. Your hope's right here tonight. There's nothing too big for him. Nothing too difficult for him. There's nothing too hard for him. There's nothing too deep for him. There's nothing too great for Jesus. Puritan Thomas Goodwin says of this wonderful grace, Grace is the freeness of love. Grace is the freeness of love. In other words, didn't deserve anything. If God had us stayed in heaven, if God had never became man and never have died in our place, he still would be justified because we all have the genes of Adam undeserving. But grace came down. God's love stretched, took form and manifest on the cross of Calvary. Jesus is full of grace and truth, and it's by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen to this, Titus 2 and 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation... Hath appeared to all men. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. What did the Lord say in Isaiah 45 22? Look unto me, says Yahweh. See that man on the cross? See that man who's a bloody mess on the cross? See that man who's hanging and bleeding and dying in agony and shame that you and I should have had? Do you see that man that they walk past and he says, If I be the Son of God, come down from the cross and save yourself? Do you see that man? He's the one who cried through Isaiah. Look unto me. That's the one who cried that. And be ye saved. All the ends of the earth. Listen. For I am God. And there is none else. Isaiah 55 and 1, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy, eat, yea, come, buy, wine and milk without money and without price. Verse 3, Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. What is the everlasting covenant? Well, it's found in Hebrews 13 and 20. It's called the blood of the everlasting covenant of Christ, the blood of Jesus. Next week, in God's will, we'll look at the Savior's world, the saints' worship, and the sinners' worm. From Isaiah chapter sixty-six, verses twenty-two, twenty-three, and twenty-four, are you saved? There's a stillness here tonight. You know why? Because when you glorify the Lord Jesus, the Holy Ghost shows you him. It's not some Mickey learn Belfast boy who has an oratory and a Belfast gruff accent who shouts a lot. It's nothing to do with it. It's to do with who he is. He's the lovely Christ of God, the anointed one who died for our sins.